Support for this podcast is provided by the American Bar Association Tax Section. Are you looking to make valuable connections with government officials, academics, and tax professionals? ABA Tax Section membership provides you with opportunities year-round to engage and network in your area of practice. Members receive discounts on meetings, CLE, and publications, and membership also provides you with free, on-demand CLE and special members-only news and updates. Discover how membership can benefit you and join at ambar.org slash taxnotes. That's ambar.org slash taxnotes. Welcome to Tax Notes Talk, a podcast from Tax Notes, the leading source of tax news, information, and analysis. Welcome to the podcast. I'm David Stewart, Editor-in-Chief of Tax Notes Today International. This week, promises to policy. This January marked the end of President Biden's first year in office. With Democrats controlling the White House and both houses of Congress, it seemed like the Biden administration would have a clear path to pass the president's main campaign promises, including several tax items and priorities. Although we saw some important tax changes under the American Rescue Plan Act enacted early on, the president's signature proposals have all but grinded to a halt in Congress. With the uncertainty surrounding the Build Back Better legislation, we decided that now is a good time to look at the Biden administration's initial tax policy promises and where those proposals stand today. Here to talk more about this is Tax Notes reporter Jonathan Curry. Jonathan, welcome back to the podcast. Hey, Dave. Great to be back here. All right, to begin with, could you give listeners a recap of what President Biden's big tax policy promises were? Okay, yes. Yeah, so, sure. If you remember, I mean, he had a lot of proposals. If you were to go to his website back when he was campaigning, it was, you know, pages and pages of different tax proposals. To go over the headliners, he wanted to raise the corporate tax rate to 28% up from 21%. He wanted to impose a new tax, a corporate minimum tax on book income. He wanted to raise the individual income tax rate back up to 39.6%, kind of reverting it back to pre-Tax Cuts and Jobs Act era tax rates. He wanted to cap itemized deductions above a $400,000 income threshold, and you're going to hear about that $400,000 income threshold a lot. He also had a lot of things on sort of the high you know, the high income front. He wanted to tax long-term capital gains the same as income, so that 39.6%. That would only apply on those making more than $1 million. He also had a big proposal to end the tax-free step-up in basis at death, again, above a $1 million threshold. Other things he had on his website were to raise the payroll tax rate on those making more than $400,000, although the outset that was never going to happen just due to the complex procedural rules in Congress. Uh, you can't touch the payroll tax rate in the reconciliation procedures that they're working under. So, so that one was never going to happen, but it was there. Some of the other big ones he had was he wanted to expand the child tax credit and the child independent independent care credit. And he also wanted to reform guilty by doubling the rate and making it a country by country calculation rather than by blending it. That's just sort of a list of some of the, the big things. There was still a lot of other little kind of tweaks and reforms and things on the margins. So that there, there was a lot. So now that we've covered what was promised, let's talk about what's actually happened with those promises. So starting with the American Rescue Plan Act, which was widely viewed as a, a win for President Biden. So how did that legislation fit in with the tax proposals from the campaign? Yeah, sure. I mean, it, that was a big bill for sure. It was uh, $1.9 trillion overall, and it, it did have a tax component, although it was definitely not the main part of it. Uh, and that tax component was very much family oriented. So, you know, if you remember from what I was just mentioning before, what he was calling for, he did want to expand the child tax credit, and he, he got that. 
He had a big temporary increase in the size of that credit for 2021, plus it was made fully refundable. And half of the year's credits were distributed in monthly payments from July through December. The child and dependent care credit was also boosted again, just for one year. And the earned income tax credit was also expanded for a limited time. So again, if you didn't pick up on it, a lot of this was just for one year. It was just for 2021. The bill did move pretty quickly. It was actually faster than I expected, but so much of it was just temporary relief. And so, you know, it was, I think it was pretty clearly intended to be a down payment, you know, kind of get this in the law, get people used to it. And then, you know, there'll be more support for it if they're already feeling the benefits of a, of a bigger child tax credit. And we saw that uh, later proposals in the Build Back Better plan tried to expand on these. I do think it's worth noting that this was kind of just the easy stuff, though. On the tax front, it was, it was really just offering purely tax relief. There weren't tax hikes that would generate pushback. And in terms of following through on his tax promises, you know, given what the, the huge amount that he had promised, this was just a tiny piece of it. Support for this podcast is provided by the University of California, Irvine School of Law Graduate Tax Program. Ranked number one on the West Coast and number five nationwide, this innovative program prepares students to practice tax law at the highest level in the U.S. and abroad. Featuring a low student-to-faculty ratio, cutting-edge technology instruction, and dedicated career support, UCI's graduate tax program helps prepare students for a future in tax law. Program graduates are placed in top tax-related industries, practicing law in many major U.S. cities. Applications are open now. For more information and to apply to this highly selective program, visit law.uci.edu slash gradtax. That's law.uci.edu slash gradtax. All right, so turning to the rest of the policy promises, such as not raising taxes on anyone earning less than $400,000 a year. So how have the rest of those plans panned out? Yeah, so the $400,000 pledge has come up a lot. Uh, and I think by and large, he's still sticking to that with a few caveats. You know, he's he's still not pushing to tinker with your middle class income tax rates or anything like that. But the House version of the bill that came out would have you know included a proposal to double the federal tobacco tax, which, you know, if you're anyone buying cigarettes, no matter how much income you have, you know, technically your taxes are going to go up. And there were some scenarios where, for example, let's say a taxpayer, you know, doesn't make $400,000 every year, but they might have a lot of income in one year from maybe you sell a house or, you know, you come into a big inheritance of some sort. And so, you know, under his proposal, you might technically fall short of the pledge if, you know, stepped up basis was, you know, the tax-free step up in basis was ended. But, you know, that proposal doesn't look to be on the table anymore anyway. So, I mean, on the whole, I think Biden has still stuck to that pledge, even if it has led to some pretty kind of kind of wonky ways to make the policies fit his promise. All right. Now, turning to the other major piece of legislation that was discussed last year, the Build Back Better Act, um, we saw it go through many iterations from introduction until today. So where do things stand now? I think you touched on it in your introduction really perfectly. Things are at a standstill. There was a ton of hustle on this late last year, and they just couldn't get it done. Biden and other congressional leaders were, had talked to pushing it to early January and then, you know, a little bit later and then a little bit later. And, and now they're talking about trying to pass a bill of some sort by the time Biden gives his State of the Union speech on March 1st. That's, you know, less than a month from now. What do they plan to pass by March 1st? I mean, who knows? The one thing we can say for sure is that it's going to be a lot smaller than what Biden had envisioned by, you know, magnitudes at this point. 
Senators Kirsten Sinema and Joe Manchin haven't been nearly as eager to pass a bill. So really, it all comes down to what are they okay with passing? And honestly, I'm, I'm still sort of surprised we don't know that the answer to that yet. Manchin keeps saying he hasn't heard from the president about how to move forward. Um, in the White House, Press Secretary Jen Psaki, you know, is always saying that she won't comment on private conversations, but, you know, we're always in touch with senior staff and, and whatnot. So according to the White House, they're moving forward. According to Manchin, they're not. So I don't know. <laughs> they're a little bit at a standstill is probably the best way to put it right now. I do remember last October, the White House made a big announcement about how they come up with a framework that all Democrats can agree with, including Senators Manchin and Cinema. But clearly that's been thrown out the window at this point. So how does the current iteration of this bill compare with what was originally set out? Yeah, you know, I guess that depends on what you mean by current iteration. So if you mean the House and Senate versions of the Build Back Better plan, they had big differences from what Biden initially set out to do, but there's still substantial pieces of legislation. Biden's initial tax proposals, they really seemed like they were intended to reform the tax code overall. They wanted to do a lot on the international tax front. They wanted to change how things are taxed, you know, how high income, the, the, the uber wealthy are taxed. They wanted to change corporate taxation, make sure that they're paying their fair share and, and, and things like that. And over time, I feel like we've seen it turn into more just like pay fors for the spending side. There are some reforms in there. I mean, changing now international tax is done. But but overall, it seems like it's just more like how much revenue do we need? Let's try to get to that. All right. Now, there's been a lot of discussion about what must be in the bill for it to pass. So so what are some of the must have elements that are currently out there? That's a good question. You know, if you had asked me a few weeks ago, I would have said that extending the expanded child tax credit was a core provision of the bill. And there's no way they would ever back away from it. The White House loved to talk about it, especially the monthly payment portion of it, which claim, you know, they would claim lifted millions of families out of poverty. And that's a huge win for the administration from the policy side. But Senator Manchin said he was opposed to that provision. He doesn't like the idea of extending something because Biden had proposed to extend it for a little bit longer. But Senator Manchin is under the impression that that's just a temporary thing that everyone knows is going to be made permanent at some point, And that hides the true cost of it. Uh, and making it permanent would, in fact, have cost a lot of revenue. It was the the cost of it was something like one point five trillion dollars over ten years. So something had to give, and it looks for now like the White House gave in. From a practical standpoint, the Biden administration really does need to include the international tax provisions, though, to bring the guilty tax regime into compliance with the Pillar Two Global Minimum Tax Agreement. I just don't really see any way around that. That global minimum tax could take effect as early as next year, and it would be both embarrassing on the international stage if the U.S., which has helped lead and spearhead these negotiations, can't even hold up its end of the bargain. In addition to it also being a nightmare for businesses that try to comply with a, you know, a mismatched domestic and international tax regime. So even though I don't hear President Biden talking about it very much, I, mean, I, I definitely think that that's something that his administration really wants to see in this package. Support for this podcast is provided by Avalara. Since 2004, Avalara's vision has been to harness the power of cloud technology to help simplify sales tax for businesses of all sizes. And their solutions are designed to affordably scale with businesses as they grow. Collecting tax for the government is something businesses just have to do. But getting the job done efficiently and correctly can be an incredible challenge because tax rules and regulations can be endlessly complicated. Avalara keeps track of how thousands upon thousands of products are taxed in more than 13,000 tax jurisdictions, and that's just in the United States. 
With more than 1,000 signed partner integrations, Avalara likely integrates with the ERP, e-commerce, mobile payment, and point-of-sale systems you use today. Find out how your business can be sales tax ready at avalara.com slash tax notes. That's avalara.com slash tax notes. Avalara, tax compliance done right. All right, well, turning to President Biden's promises both domestically and internationally on climate change, the Build Back Better Act had energy tax credits and, and other things to address climate change. Do we expect to see any of these tax credits included in the final bill? You know, I, I think so. Uh, the climate portion of the bill, which is made up of you know more than $300 billion and mostly tax incentives, doesn't seem to have been terribly controversial among Democrats. I mean, they've, they've dropped some of the more punitive tax policies that were meant to steer the industry away from fossil fuels. But you know, so far, they've kept the incentive portion that, that survived largely through the House and the Senate versions of the bill that was put out by the, the Senate version being put out by the Senate Finance Committee. It was never actually voted on. And I don't see a lot of pushback from Manchin specifically on that, and except for, you know, not wanting to punish fossil fuel industries. So I, I, would, I would expect to see those survive if there is a bill. All right. Now, we saw a lot of discussion in the second half of 2021 on this bill, but haven't really heard anything this year. So what's been delaying further action? Yeah, that's definitely been a surprise because back in uh, late December, when this when things kind of came to a halt, they were like, well, we'll pick it back up first thing in the new year. And they haven't. Um, <laughs> I think it comes down to there's been other priorities. There was a big push to try to pass a voting rights bill, and that took up some time on the legislative calendar and sort of just con- consumed the, the public mind for a few weeks. And that, you know, eventually fell apart. There's also President Biden needs to announce a new nominee for the Supreme Court. And, uh, you know, that's something, again, that just sort of takes up public attention. Those are sort of tangible things that have crowded out the, the attention to the Build Back Better. But I think intangibly, there's sort of a, a, a big issue they're facing is momentum. You know, there was a huge push to get this passed by the end of last year. And then, you know, December 31st or really Christmas is sort of like an, an informal deadline. And then they just hit a wall. And now it's a new year. And rather than working toward a deadline and building up more momentum, it seems more like they're just working to try to get it done before they completely run out of steam ahead of the midterm elections. And once we do hit those midterm elections, no, I'm not a political analyst per se, it's a, but I do think it's a good bet Democrats will lose their majority in one or both chambers of Congress. That's just historically what happens. And Biden's poll numbers aren't exactly fabulous right now to try to forestall that. Okay, now you mentioned President Biden's upcoming State of the Union address. Do we expect to hear more about tax policy there? Yeah, you know, they'd certainly like to pass this bill before the State of the Union. So I'm sure Biden's preference would be to take a victory lap during his speech and all the wonderful things he signed into law. Assuming that doesn't happen, though, I mean, I have no doubt you'll hear him reiterate his tax policy. But frankly, I don't expect more than a few sound bites. You know, he wants to make sure the rich and the big profitable corporations pay their fair share. He'll probably pitch his child tax credit expansion if it's still on the table in some form by then. But in terms of selling this package to the public, I don't really think the tax policies are totally what's steering the ship. All right. And looking outside of Build Back Better, do we expect any other big tax changes this year from the administration? Or is this going to be a quiet year going into the midterms? You know, if you had asked me last year when it looked like there was going to be a big Build Back Better package passed, I would have said not much because he would have already done so much on the tax front that it seemed like that would tide them over for quite a long time. 
But since the Build Back Better package is getting slimmer seemingly every single day, anything that's not included, you know, I wouldn't be surprised to see them save it for later. And President Biden has said as much, you know, he said recently during a press conference with reporters, you know, just because I can't get it passed now doesn't mean I, we won't pass it later. It just, you know, it just needs to wait a little bit longer. So if he can't get things like the child tax credit expansion right now, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised to see him still push for it in separate legislation. All right. Well, Jonathan, this has been great. Uh, thank you for being here. Yeah, my pleasure. And now, coming attractions. Each week, we highlight new and interesting commentary in our magazines. Joining me now is Acquisitions and Engagement Editor-in-Chief Paige Jones. Paige, what will you have for us? Thanks, Dave. In Tax Notes Federal, Jasper Cummings shows how tax return secrecy has been a pawn in the political culture wars pursued for a century by the small groups that most benefit from secrecy. Brian Murphy and Dorian Hunt analyze the federal tax incentives of renewable energy projects in the U.S. In Tax Notes State, Kendall Houghton and Ethan Millar discuss recent unclaimed property developments. Tom Yamachika examines which state laws apply to foreign trade zones and duty-free stores. In Tax Notes International, Joseph Andres and Richard Collier examine the state of the arm's length principle in light of the recent two-pillar agreement. Lewis Greenwald and Brainyard Patton examine the tax treatment of active development companies under PFIC rules. And finally, in featured analysis, Carrie Brandon Elliott reviews new regulations that clarify the foreign tax credit disallowance in section 245A, subsection D. That's it for this week. You can follow me online at taxstew, that's S-T-E-W, and be sure to follow at Tax Notes for all things tax. If you have any comments, questions, or suggestions for a future episode, you can email us at podcast at taxanalyst.org. And as always, if you like what we're doing here, please leave a rating or review wherever you download this podcast. We'll be back next week with another episode of Tax Notes Talk. Tax Notes Talk is a production of Tax Notes. You can learn more about us by visiting www.taxnotes.com podcast. When major media wants the straight story, they turn to Tax Notes. Thank you for listening, and join us again for another edition of Tax Notes Talk. Tax Analyst Inc. does not provide tax advice or tax preparation services. Nothing in the podcast constitutes legal, accounting, or tax advice. A full disclaimer is included in the transcript.